0: in Romans chapter 3, verse 25 and 26, Romans chapter 3, verses 25 and 26, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God, to declare, I say at this time, his righteousness, that he might be just, and the justifier of them which believeth in Jesus. Now, I have written out to the margin of my Bible that verse 25 is the guts of the gospel. And I imagine that is just a little bit crude, but that's exactly the way I want to say it because it has exactly the force and the punch that I want behind it. Verse 25 is the guts of the gospel. That's it. It's the very heart of it. And if a person doesn't understand this, he doesn't understand anything. Whom God has set forth, Jesus Christ, to be the propitiation through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God, to declare, I say at this time, his righteousness, that he might be just, and the justifier of them which believe in Jesus. Now there's a question that I want to pose to you, and then we're going to answer this question. It is the question, how can God be just and still justify sinners? How can a holy God look upon an unholy man and treat him as though he had never sinned? For you see, if God is holy, and if God is righteous, and if God is just, then he cannot merely overlook sin, can he? Can he excuse sin? You mean to tell me that all God has to do is say, all right, friend, your sins are forgiven. I treat you now. I look upon you as though you had never sinned. Now, how in the world can God do that? Because, you see, if God does not demand and extract punishment and penalty for that sin, he violates his justice. What would you think of a judge who would have a criminal brought before him, the sentence has been brought in, this man is guilty of murder, and the judge say, I justify you. I look upon you as though you have never sinned. You are acquitted, not guilty, free. You're free to go. We would rise up in indignation because we would say that the justice, the law, has been violated. And if God simply pronounces man to be as though he had never sinned without demanding and extracting punishment and penalty, his law and his justice is violated. But on the other hand, this is God's dilemma. On the other hand, if God condemns the sinner and sentences him to an eternal hell, his love is frustrated. Either his law is going to be violated or his love is going to be frustrated one of the two how is it that God then can be just and remain righteous and at the same time treat you and treat me as though we had never sinned you know what I've had people say to me when I've presented to them the way of salvation they said that's too easy there has to be more to it than that that's too easy and you're right it is too easy and there is more to it than that Sometimes we have the idea that God might be able to forgive us of our sins if, first of all, he punished us for our sins. And you know, this is one of the most difficult things for lost people to understand. You mean to tell me that all of these sins I've committed, all of these impure acts and thoughts, this hatred, this malice, this envy, this drunkenness, this lying, this stealing, all of this sin that I've committed against God, God just blots it out and forgets about it and treats me as though it never happened? That's right. That's exactly it. Sometimes we say, well, it just can't be that easy. And so we try to do penance, you know. We try to help God out. Somehow we feel, I believe God would forgive me if he had just punished me a little bit. But here's exactly what God does. God looks at the guilty sinner. He's already said in verse 19 that the whole world is guilty before God. You have no defense And there's no excuse, the whole world is guilty before God, and yet then he turns right around in the next verse and says, he justifies you. He treats you as though you were not guilty, even as though you had never committed a single sin. How does he do that? Verse 25 tells us how he does it. Whom God has set forth to be the propitiation through faith in his blood. Now, there are three words I want you to underscore in that 25th verse. And I'm going to comment on each one of those verses and pray the Holy Spirit will open our eyes this morning to see how God can at once be just and at the same time justify me. Underscore the word propitiation. Underscore the word blood. Underscore the word faith. First of all, propitiation. God has set him forth. God has publicly set Jesus Christ to be what? To be a propitiation. That word propitiation means to placate, to pacify, to appease. Someone has been offended. Someone is angry. That one who has been offended must be pacified. He must be placated. He must be appeased. His wrath must be averted. The word propitiate means to cover. It means to cover, to shield off from something like an umbrella. you know what an umbrella is? An umbrella is a propitiation. That's what an umbrella is. Every time it rains, you need a propitiation. You need something to ward off the rain. You need something to cover you from that rain. And so you get, you get an umbrella and you push it up and you have propitiated yourself. You have covered yourself from the rain. Now, one has been offended. That's right, God. And God is angry, that's right, the Bible says God is angry all the day with the wicked. He says even the plowing of the wicked is an abomination to God. You know, that's a hard verse to understand once in a while. You mean, here's a lost man out yonder, and all he's doing is plowing his field. He's just a farmer, and and he's just plowing his field. And yet God says that that man, when he plows his field, even the very plowing of that lost man is an abomination to God. That's right. And when you stand behind that desk and clerk in that store, your selling is an abomination to God. When you stand in that classroom and you teach those people reading and writing and arithmetic, your teaching is an abomination to God. If you're a truck driver as you drive down the highway, your driving is an abomination to God. Because we have offended God by the choice of our sinfulness and we have rebelled against him and everything we are and everything we do is an abomination to God. He is angry with the sinner all the day long. It does make a difference to God how you and I behave ourselves. There has been an offense. There is one who is offended. There must be some way to appease God's anger and God's wrath. Some of us think we can do it, but joining the church and being baptized and turning over a new leaf and going to the priest and going to the preacher and confessing our sins and doing penance and lighting candles and doing a thousand other things, we think somehow we're going to appease the wrath of God. No, sir, you cannot do it. There is no possibility of any of us appeasing God's wrath, of propitiating God. There's only one who can do it. And so the Bible says God has sent forth his Son to be what? A propitiation. God is going to be appeased. How is his anger? How is his wrath going to be appeased? I cannot do it. So Jesus Christ has come into the world to do it. Jesus Christ has become my umbrella. Jesus Christ has become my covering. And He stands between me and the wrath of God. And when God pours out His wrath upon my sin, it doesn't touch me, it doesn't hit me, because in between myself and God is Jesus Christ. God has set Him for to be the propitiation for our sins. The reason Jesus came into this world was so that He might appease the wrath of God on your behalf. Well, how does He do that? He does it through His blood. He does it through his blood, whom God has sent forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood. A fellow said to me one day, it can't be that easy. Am I just asking Jesus Christ to save me? And if I ask, you mean to tell me if I ask Jesus Christ to save me, suddenly he blots out my sins and he treats my sins as though they were never in existence? I said, that's right. He said, it can't be that easy. It can't be that easy. And he's right. It's not that easy. Now, on the manward side, it is. That's all I have to do. But on the Godward side, it's not that easy. You see, God cannot forgive sin with just a word. When God wanted to create the heavens and the earth, all he had to do was speak a word. I love to read. I never get tired of reading the first three chapters of Genesis when it tells how God created. I was, you know, God never perspires. God never gets anxious. God never frets. God never expends energy. All God has to do is just think, and it exists. God just thinks world, and there's a world. God just thinks oceans, and there are oceans. God thinks man, and there's man. Just a word, just a thought, power, creative power. God said, let there be light, and there was light. Let dry land appear, and it appeared when God wanted to. Create the world he just had to speak a word but when God wanted to redeem the world and justify the world, he couldn't do it with a word some of us think that that's all God did when I asked him as a junior boy to forgive my sins and save me sometimes we have that all God did was say okay it's done but God can't save the world just with a word the only way he can do it is with blood now I'm going to make a statement I wish you'd write the statement down or remember it, because this statement is the guts of the gospel. God has never had any other way of dealing with sinful man than by the blood. God has never had any other way of dealing with sinful man than by the blood. The Bible says in the book of Hebrews chapter 9, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. You say, there must be more to it than my merely asking him to forgive me and him forgiving me. That's right. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. And God has never, has never dealt with sinner apart from the blood. Back yonder in the Garden of Eden, when our first parents sinned, and they tried to cover up their sin with fig leaves, Remember, the Bible says that God came and God took off the fig leaves, and God did what? God covered them, God covered them, and that same Hebrew word is this word propitiation. God covered them with the skins of animals. He had to shed blood right there in the garden. Why did not God leave that covering of fig leaves on Adam and Eve? Because without the shedding of blood there is no remission of sins. God has never had any other way of dealing with man apart from the blood. And so there in the Garden of Eden, the first animal died, God slew an animal and shed blood and covered them with the skins of animals. And the world just kept getting worse and worse. Abel was born and Cain was born. And the first act of recorded worship in the Bible, the first time it's ever recorded in the Bible that anybody worshiped God, there was blood shed. Abel brought his sacrifice to God and shed blood. Cain was rejected because he was a farmer, and he brought some beans and potatoes and corn, brought his gift to the Lord. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness, and God will not deal with man apart from the blood. That's why God rejected Cain's sacrifice, because it was a bloodless sacrifice. God accepted Abel because he brought blood. God has never had any other way of dealing with sinful men apart from the blood. Well, the world just kept getting worse and worse and worse, and so God saved Noah and his family and destroyed the world with a flood of waters. Noah and his family stepped out after 40 days and 40 nights onto a new earth, a new race, a new humanity. you know the first thing Noah did when he stepped foot on dry ground? Do you know the first thing he did? He offered a sacrifice to God. Because without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. God came along one day and picked up Abraham and said, Abraham, I'm going to make of you a great nation. And through your seed, through your seed, I'm going to send the Savior of the world. And he's going to save the world. And I make a covenant with you. But that covenant had to be sealed with blood. And on the mountain, Abraham started to offer Isaac. And in his place, God placed a ram. And there had to be bloodshed. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. And all the way through the Old Testament, every time those people went in to worship God, first of all, blood had to be shed. Before that high priest could approach the Holy of Holies, blood had to be shed. It's kind of like this pulpit. Let's do it this way. Let's suppose that your pastor is the high priest and this pulpit is the Holy of Holies. If I were to step up here this morning and approach this place without first of all having the blood of a lamb sprinkled on my clothes, and without first of all having blood in a basin, and without first of all having blood sprinkled on that altar, God would kill me as I approached this place because that's where God dwells. Every time anyone came into the presence of God, they had to come with shed blood, and if they came without blood, God would kill them. Because without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. And God has never had any other way of dealing with man apart from the blood. You say, well, that's Old Testament. That bloody gospel over in the Old Testament. But you've come to the New Testament. And when John the Baptist in the gospel of John saw Jesus coming, he pointed everybody to Jesus and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. He is the Lamb of God in John chapter 6, four times Jesus said, unless you drink my blood, you have no life in you. Unless you partake of my blood, you have no life in you. Matthew chapter 28, when Jesus was giving the last supper before he went to the cross, he took the cup and he said, this cup represents my blood, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. In Romans chapter 3, we went in a moment ago that we must have faith in his blood if we're going to be saved. Romans chapter 5, it says, Therefore, being justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath to come. In Hebrews chapter 9, it says, Not the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, he entered into the holy place and obtained eternal redemption for us. In Hebrews chapter 7, it says, Therefore, having boldness to come into the presence of God by his blood. You cannot come into the presence of God apart from, from his blood. In Ephesians chapter 1, it says, In whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. In Colossians 1.14, it says the same thing. In whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. In Ephesians chapter 2, it says, Those of you who are once far off from God are now brought nigh by the blood of Christ. In 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 18 it says, For you were not redeemed with corruptible things such as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, as a lamb slain without spot and without blemish. Now I turn over to John chapter 1, 1 John chapter 1 and verse 7, and it says, And the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. And then I come to that last book in Revelation chapter 1 and verse 5. It says, unto him who loved us and washed us in his own blood, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. And over in Revelation chapter 5, it gives us a glimpse of what the choir is going to be singing in heaven. And this is the song that we sing in heaven. Thou art worthy, worthy is the Lamb, for thou hast redeemed us unto God by thy blood. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. You say, well, why in the world does God require blood? Why does blood have to be shed? Because God said in Leviticus chapter 14, the life of all flesh is in the blood. The life of all flesh is in the blood. I stand this morning as a guilty sinner condemned before God. I have no excuse for my sin. There's no defense for my sin. I stand in his presence condemned by an angry and wrathful God because of my sin. Life, my life must be forfeited. The soul that sinneth it shall die. When you sin against God, my friend, you forfeit your life. It costs you your life. The wages of sin is death. God's law cannot be violated. Life must be given. The punishment must be carried out so Jesus Christ comes, and he says, Just as everybody became sinners in Adam, I'm the last Adam, and I can make everybody righteous. And he says, I will go to the earth. I'll live there for 30 years. I'll keep the law. I'll live a sinless life, and I'll die on the cross, and I'll take all the world's sins, every sin I've ever committed, every sin I ever will commit, and I'll take them into myself. I'll spill my blood. I'll pour out my blood. I'll give my life and sacrifice For all of the world are to appease and satisfy the righteous wrath of God. And when Jesus died upon that cross, he was taking my punishment. He was taking my whipping. He was taking my guilt. He was taking my sin. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. I don't have to worry about my sins. I don't understand. I want you to know sometimes the devil tries to accuse me of past sins. Any of you ever have that trouble? Anybody here this morning ever worry about the sins you've already asked God forgiveness? I want to tell you something. God never bothers you. God never nags you with sins. He's already forgiven. I'll tell you who does, and that's the devil. The devil will come to you, and he'll bring up that past life that you lived before you were saved. He'll bring up every sin you've ever committed, and he'll say, You know you can't be right with God. Look at all these things you've done. Oh, the devil is the accuser. He's the accuser. I sometimes picture myself standing in the presence of God before that court of heaven, and there's old Satan, the accuser, that old dragon, the serpent, and he stands before God, and he has the account of Ronald Dunn, one born, 1936, born again at the age of nine, 1945 in Fort Smith, Arkansas. And Satan says, God, I want you to see this fellow here that you've saved. I want you to see all that he's done since you saved him. And he begins to read off the list, the lying, the stealing, the cheating, everything, the whole black list. And he reads it off, and he reads it off, and there's more, and there's more. Ever since, i sin more since I've been saved than I did before I was saved. And the devil just keeps on accusing me in the presence of God. i finishes and he shuts his book, and he looks at me and says, all right, what have you got to say? I'll tell you, nothing I can say. Everything the devil said about me is true. Everything Satan said about me is true, and I stand before the judgment bar of God, all of my sins, all of my wickedness there, and all of a sudden one stands up in the galleries of heaven, and there's a holy hush in the presence of the angels, and here he comes. And his countenance is bathed in blood. And all heaven thrills to the spectacle. And this one stands before the heavenly Father, and he says, Heavenly Father, when I died on the cross, I took this fellow with me, and my blood covers his sin. And by every tear that I shed on the cross, and by every groan that came from my mouth, by every drop of blood that I shed for him, I beg of you, Father, to forgive him and release him, not for his sake, but for my sake. Look at the nail prints in my hand, and I beg you, Father, because of the nail prints in my hand, let him go. Look at the side where the spear was driven through, and I beg you, let him go because of that. Look at my feet, and you see where the spikes were driven through, and I beg you, Father, release him and forgive him because of the spikes in my feet. And the verdict of heaven comes clear, ringing through to my heart. And this is the verdict it says, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. He's my advocate. Oh, I don't understand that. I honestly confess, I don't understand that. But, brother, I believe it. And I'm thankful for it. His blood was shed. For my sins. I don't have to be punished for my sins. I don't have to do penance for my sins. Jesus took all of that for me. (laughs) Now there's one more word, and it's the word faith. It's the word faith. All of this is made effective by faith, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation-proof faith in his blood. Some of us this morning have faith in our efforts to please God and appease God. No, you must have faith in his blood. You come to that place where you recognize that I deserve to be lost forever. Yes, I deserve to go to hell. How am I going to escape the punishment of God? And the gospel story comes that Jesus died in my place and his blood was shed. His life poured out in the place of my life. And so I say, Lord, I accept that. I believe that I have faith in his blood. I take Jesus Christ this morning. It has to be made effective by faith. Some of you have heard of William Cowper, great poet and hymn writer. Oh, he was under conviction. He tried numerous ways to find peace with God, but he just couldn't do it. And one day, he was walking back and forth in his room, pacing back and forth, conviction deep, and agony of soul. He, he was frustrated and at the point of breaking because he couldn't find any way that he could have peace with God. Finally, he just flopped down in the chair beside the window, so exhausted because of the fretfulness and frustration in his heart because of his sin, and there happened to be a Bible sitting on the windowsill, and he just happened to open it, and it just happened to open. I typed down his testimony. He said, the passage which met my eye was the 25th verse of the third chapter of Romans. On reading it, I received immediate power to believe. The rays of the Son of Righteousness fell on me in all their fullness. I saw the complete sufficiency of the expiation which Christ had wrought for my pardon and entire justification. In an instant, I believed and received the peace of the gospel. If the arm of the Almighty God had not supported me, I believe I should have been overwhelmed with gratitude and joy. My eyes fill with tears. Transports choke my utterance. I could only look to heaven in silent fear, overflowing with love and wonder. And he wrote a great hymn. Anybody know what hymn he wrote? There is a fountain filled with blood, drawn from Emmanuel's veins, and sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. The dying thief rejoiced to see that fountain in his day, and there may I, though vile as he, wash all my guilt away. No wonder he wrote that. Faith in his blood. I'll say, there is glad release for you this morning. Isaac Watts wrote another one. He said, Not all the blood of beasts on Jewish altars slain could give the guilty conscience peace, nor wash away my stain. But Christ, the heavenly Lamb, takes all my sin away. A sacrifice of nobler name and richer blood than they, I place my hand on that meek head of thine, while as a repentant I stand and there confess my sin. Believing, I rejoice to feel the curse removed and trust the Lamb and His blood with cheerful voice. God has set him forth to be the covering for my sin. It's made effective when I have faith in his blood. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. You know the difference between your religion and my religion? Your religion is a religion of do, D.O. Do this, do that, somehow try to please God, somehow try to find peace. Do, do, do. My religion is a religion of done. D-O-N-E. It's already been done for me. It's already been done. When Jesus died on the cross. He cried out, It is finished. Friend, there's not anything you can add to that. All you can do is accept. That's all you can do. The Ron Dunn Podcast is available only for personal edification, not to be duplicated, uploaded to the web, or resold without prior written consent. It is managed and operated by Sherwood Baptist Church. If you would like to listen to additional Ron Dunn messages, visit sherwoodbaptist.net slash bookstore and search Ron Dunn. For more Ron Dunn materials, including sermon outlines, devotions, and scanned pages from a study Bible, please visit rondunn.com.